This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. At the Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. You know what I want? <laughs> I want a talk Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast, or Extra Weekly Podcast, if that counts. I'm joined today by Anthony Doyle, and we're actually going to be breaking down and previewing the Raptors' upcoming series against the Orlando Magic. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm ready for the playoffs to get started. And uh, tell everybody about yourself. I've been writing for Raptors Republic for just about three years now. It'll be three years on the draft this year. And uh, I'm on- only writing there at the moment, but I'm putting out lots of content there. I'm active on Raptors Twitter. And uh, I've always got more stuff on Raptors Republic. So that- that's about it for me right now. Yeah. Well, Raptors Republic is the biggest Raptors site in the world. It's not bad to just be writing for them, especially as a Raptors fan. The big question is the Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac against Pascal Siakam problem which has seemed like a problem any time that Siakam has lined up against one of them. Siakam has obviously struggled against these two. The one that seems more noticeable to my eye is against Jonathan Isaac. How does Siakam take over that matchup? How does he outfox Isaac or beat, let's say, Gordon when he's been played so well defensively so far? How does he find victory against those two? I, I think with this one, people are focused a lot on this idea that, like, Siakam has to be a big creator in this series. And if it just breaks down to half-court offense where Siakam is trying to take those guys off the dribble repeatedly, he's he might have a little bit of trouble. But, like, the Raptors don't... They don't need that offense at all in this series. And, and that's kind of where I run into a big disagreement with a lot of the conventional wisdom here is if that becomes a problem for the Raptors... They don't have to keep running Siakam into Isaac. And Siakam's a dangerous off-ball player. He His shooting's been great this year. Uh, he helps in transition. And he's the most important defensive player for the Raptors. So I think people are tying too much of his value to whether he can score in those specific matchups. When that, that doesn't have to be what he is in this series. And when you use him more judiciously as a creator you're still going to be tying up 
Isaac or Gordon or one of Orlando's best defensive players. And that by itself can be a win for the Raptors. Like, if Jonathan Isaac is always spending his time matched up in man against Siakam, then he's not helping on Kawhi. He's not helping on Lowry. He's not helping on Gasol in the high post. And and that has a lot of value for Toronto too. So I I agree with the idea that if if they just try to use Siakam as a battering ram into those matchups, it's not great for Toronto. But yeah. they don't have to. Um, so, go ahead. That's, that's to me is like a, a lot of the analysis I've seen so far of this series has been focused on how do the Raptors attack these specific matchups. But the advantage of this Raptors starting lineup is they don't have to. They have they can always go somewhere else and find a place to attack. Totally, I definitely agree with that. Like Siakam, a lot of the damage he was doing post Gasol trade was in flash cuts, in spacing the four out, and then just doing his damage in transition. And we actually saw his point totals go up. And even the second half, the last time they played the Magic, when they beat them, Siakam completely changed the way he played the game. And it was because Isaac was his primary defender. Siakam tried to go at him early, like you said, and that wasn't like that wasn't very advantageous for the Raptors' offense. So they went away from that, and as it turned out, the Raptors' offense is capable of producing much more than Siakam ISOs. And there is a part of, I think, for me, being a fan, and for most fans, we identify with Siakam's able to score against anybody at any time. We love the spin move, the game winner against Phoenix, the isolations. But he's just as important when he's a tertiary option. And he definitely doesn't need to be a guy that you ISO and just say, go take Isaac, take him down. So yeah, I totally agree with your your thinking on that. I guess we can use that to segue into another question. Since Siakam doesn't have to be one of the main, uh, I guess, fulcrums on offense. Sorry, focal points on offense, not fulcrums. Um, what does understanding that Orlando when they play Vucevic in the pick-and-roll defensively, he doesn't often switch onto guards. Rarely happens over the course of the year. With Siakam spacing out to the corner, most likely, or doing a little bit of dribble handoff work above the break, does Kyle Lowry's pick-and-roll offense, does that move up, the, I guess, the ladder in importance in this series? Yeah, I think the, the pick-and-roll is going to be huge against um, Orlando, whether that's Lowry or Kawhi running it with Mark Gasol, because... I mean, they like to, like you said, Orlando likes to keep Vooch under the basket. And uh, Marc Gasol is the perfect center to have against a team that wants to do that with their center. Because he's going to space the floor for you. He's going to make those great passes out of the high post. He's going to force you to somehow come out and take away some of his space. And uh, as soon as you do that, those driving lanes open up then you have to start thinking about bringing a help defender over to help on the drive or to help on the center. And as soon as you do that, if the Raptors have Danny Green and Pascal Siakam in the corners, like that's how Danny Green put up 29 on them in the last game. Right, definitely. And so I guess going back around to the like the Calgary thing, he will have a lot of agency to make plays for like Danny Green, Pascal Siakam, and to play off of Marcus Gasol. I was asked a bunch of questions for the mailbag. It's pretty rampant on like Raptors Twitter. You've seen people are wondering how big a role is Lowry's scoring? So not just his playmaking out of the pick and roll. How important do you see Lowry's scoring 
against the Magic? Like, does he need to be at 15 points per game? Does he need to be at 12? Like, where do you like him? I, this is a tough, that's a tough one for me. I think the, like, I think the threat of Lowry's scoring is more important than him actually scoring. But in order to keep that threat going, he has to put up points when teams give him space. So if, like, if, if teams decide to lay off him, then he has to score. But if Orlando tries to take him away, he doesn't because then the threat of him scoring is enough to give room to other guys. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, I think that's, that's like the perfect answer, honestly. I, I think the exact same way that he needs to score when the opportunities fall in his lap. But when he's the primary creator, honestly, this year, there hasn't been any need for him to score or to be the guy finishing plays. Not from what I've been watching anyway. So you, you saying that definitely makes sense to me when you say, like, he has to do it if they literally sit back and say Kyle Lowry has to score the ball. And I think he can. We're, like, two years removed from a 20-point season for him, 20 points per game. So, yeah, I totally agree with you saying that. So looking I, at – or go ahead. I, I was pulling some numbers um, this morning just looking at individual three, four, five-man lineups and how they performed against Orlando. And one that I thought was significant is um, when – Kyle Lowry, Mark Gasol, and Danny Green have been on the floor together. The Raptors have a 128.1 offensive rating and a plus 20.3 net rating against Orlando. And that's, that's only 43 minutes, so it's a really small sample size. But I tend to think when you're focusing against an opponent, and especially all of those minutes against Orlando have been in, in games that Orlando needed to try to compete in. So I even though it's a small sample size, I do think that's significant because a lot of those will be starter versus starter minutes too. And I think those three players are really significant because Danny Green is so important spacing the floor and then Lowry and Gasol, when they're out there, that's where the Raptors are going to get their best playmaking is when those two are on the floor together. And do you like when you put Fred Van Vliet in instead of Danny Green? Is, is that similar to you, or are you very big on the Danny Green with Gasol and Lowry minutes? Um, I, I think, like, I like Fred getting minutes with uh, Gasol however you're going to do it, because since Fred's return from injury, I'm sorry about the dog. Since, it's, it's all right. Since Fred's return from injury, anytime he's out there with Mark, it's been really good for the Raptors. I, I just pulled it up here. With Lowry, Gasol, and Van Vliet against Orlando, though, there were only six minutes that they played. And so there's not enough sample size to really pull anything. I could give you what the net rating is, and it's ridiculous, but it's only six minutes, so it doesn't matter. Mm, yeah, six minutes, that's not enough to wean from. But, so, like, if... Go ahead. But, yeah, I love... Put Fred Van Vliet out there with Marc Gasol whenever you can. <laughs> yeah, they play, they play extremely well together. Anytime Lowry, Gasol, and Van Vliet share the floor, usually it ends up being very good for the Raptors. So we talked about Vucevic staying under the rim, and we also talked about Gasol being the right type of center to take advantage of that on the offensive side. But on the other side, Augustine has been pretty good in the pick and roll this year. He's actually just been pretty good overall this year. And considering that Gasol, like Vucevic, is a player that the Raptors will avoid switching on defense with. Who do you like better to guard Vucevic, Gasol, or Ibaka, and why? I I think the numbers have been pretty clearly in favor of Gasol there, just looking at the 
the way it's matched up. And the one game where the Raptors didn't have uh, one of their other centers available against Orlando, it was the game in uh, December. Yeah. Or, sorry, I'm just getting the right date here. Yeah, December 28th. They Abaka was the only center dressed. They used Greg Monroe for 10 backup minutes that were horrible. And Vucevic just dominated that game. He put up 30-19-8 on 17 shots against Ibaka. And that was the story of the game. He was plus 33 in 33 minutes. And Ibaka was... Uh, he scored 17 points. He was minus 11. And they couldn't hold... They couldn't contain Vucevic at all. Because he's big enough to beat up Ibaka on the boards. Ibaka's actually not that fleet of foot anymore and his mobility is pretty similar to Gasol's if we're being honest so you don't really get that much of a mobility advantage and you give up size on the board so I, I don't like that matchup for the Raptors and I'd definitely try to match Gasol to Vucevic's minutes as much as possible because even if you're going to give up a little bit in terms of allowing Vucevic to hit some perimeter shots I'd rather have him taking some open threes than being able to get his uh, game going in the post. So if we're talking about you like Gasol against Vucevic, I agree with that. I think that's pretty good wisdom to go by. Let's go to the bench then. Serge Ibaka against Kem Birch. Kem Birch has had a pretty great year. He made Zach Lowe's Luke Walton All-Stars. He's been raved about like by the Orlando Magic Twitter. He's received a lot of fanfare. And Serge Ibaka has obviously had, in his own right, a great year with the Raptors. So consistent. He's been a stalwart on defense at times. He's been a really important cog in the offense. What do you think about those two matching up off the bench? I'm okay with it because I don't... I'm probably going to worry a little bit about whatever the Raptors bench minutes look like because if we go to deep bench minutes a lot, it's going to cause trouble for the Raptors. Those minutes just haven't been good all season. So I'd like to see like an eight, nine-man rotation. I, I know that wasn't really the question you're asking, but mm-hmm. if you're still keeping a, a couple starters out there on the floor, you're you're going to find ways to attack Birch. You're going to find ways to create points against Orlando because their bench has been pretty porous defensively for most of the year. And uh, as long as you can create the, the points against them, anything Birch gets against Ibaka, you, you can live with. And so... Obviously, you probably read Lewis's article where he wrote about the Van Vliet Ibaka pick and roll. What is it creating? What is the synergy between those two? If Birch, I guess this is a conventional wisdom here, if Birch has been one of the best defenders of the rim this year, having the Fred Van Vliet Serge Ibaka pick and pop to pull him away at times, or maybe he would even be reluctant to guard that, seems like a pretty important weapon for the bench to possess. Do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I love what Fred's given the Raptors uh, pretty much an entirety in the last month or so. And, uh, he's really been making those reads in incredibly well lately. So I would trust him to get Serge those looks that you want to get him. And, uh, he had a really nice game the last time out against Orlando too, off the bench. He, I think he was seven for 10 for 15 points. Yeah, he was awesome. I think he had a double-double as well. Yeah, if you can get him 
if you can get him rolling in that mid-range game, he's even shooting well from three recently. I don't know how much I trust that to sustain in the playoffs, but he doesn't have to. If he's hitting those 18 to 20-foot jumpers, that's going to open up enough space to help get the other bench guys going, and that opens up a little bit of OG Ananobi's cutting game. That helps if Kawhi or Siakam's out there with him. And maybe the Raptors run Siakam a little bit more in those bench minutes in this series to help get him away from Isaac a little bit, too. So I have two questions for you. You said deep bench and then eight, nine-man rotation. I'm going to ask you to say what your playoff rotation is. And then I'm going to ask about Serge Ibaka, oftentimes coming off the bench, but still leading the Raptors in rebounds, like secured during that game. Do we have any problems taking care of our own glass on the defensive end? So playoff rotation, one, and then the rebounding problem, two. Playoff rotation, obviously you've got the five starters, Lowry, Green, Leonard, Siakam, Gasol. Um, The first two guys off the bench are going to be Fred and Ibaka for sure. I think OG has earned a spot in the playoff rotation. I know he's had a little bit of a rough year, but his defense is so dependable. And when he's out there with other creators and not being asked to do too much offensively, you you can depend on him to hit the odd three, where he actually shot pretty well this year. Um... You can depend on him to be cutting and finding holes in the defense if there's movement to open up those cuts for him. And he's just going to provide you with enough little things offensively to be a positive. And if there's a ninth man, to me, it's Norman Powell. Um, And a lot of the same reasons as OG. He'll give you a little bit defensively. He's he's not going to hurt you there. And if you don't ask him to create on offense and you don't ask him to be the primary guy he's going to give you some positives there too. But with Norm, it's very important that, you know, he's not the guy creating with your better offensive players sitting in the corners around him. Right, totally. And so the rebounding problem, what do you think of that? I don't... I'm not sure I buy that it's that big of a problem for the Raptors because when you have a team that's that good defensively, as the Raptors starters can be, they force teams to take a lot of bad shots when they're on their game. And bad shots sometimes give up long rebounds, which creates offensive rebounds. That's going to happen, and I don't know that that's totally a fixable problem, because a lot of the offensive rebounds the Raptors do give up tend to be on long threes and shots like that, where it's just a long bounce and hard to read predictably. But also, Mark Gasol doesn't grab as many rebounds because, like, Kyle Lowry's a really good rebounding guard. Kawhi Leonard's really good on the boards. And if if Lowry's in there to grab a defensive rebound, you want him to be the guy that's grabbing it so he can initiate the fast-break offense off that point. Same thing with Kawhi. And obviously Gasol's a pretty good outlet passer, too. But you don't need him to be grabbing the rebounds if the team is. And at, looking at the box scores from late in the season with that starting lineup, there were a lot of games where Gasol had four or five rebounds, but then almost every starter did too. Totally. He's, he's, a, big, he's a big body on when he's boxing out. So are you of the mind that Vucevic won't be completely numbed out like on the rebounds, but that Gasol will do a good job checking him and boxing him out, and then guys like Leonard, Lowry, Siakam, and Green can clean up? Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Um, if 
it, uh, that's what Mark seems to really like to do watching him play. He's, he really seems to like to seek out a body when the shot goes up and box a guy out rather than being the guy jumping to get that board. And even if the Raptors give up a few offensive rebounds, I trust the defense enough as long as the right guys are on the floor to recover. Siakam's great in recovery. So is Leonard. And I, and I really think we're going to see a more engaged defensive Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs um, than we've seen consistently throughout the season. I'm going to go back to the Norm Powell, Gianna Nobi commentary real quick. I then I had a question asked to me in the mailbag of who was the eighth, who was the ninth man. And I was trying to come up with a good answer. And I'm going to bounce this off of you. My answer was something along the lines of OG provides more value against teams like Philly and Milwaukee because they have big wing threats that OG will be really good against. And I wrote that OG feature in which the numbers are that he's a very good isolation defender. But Orlando has guys like Terrence Ross, Evan Fournier that are really good around screens. And I'm wondering, is Norman Powell more valuable in the Magic series, but OG Ananobi is more valuable against Philly or the Bucks? I I bias a little towards OG overall myself, but I, I do agree with that, I think. Um, and something I've I've noticed over the the time since the Terrence Ross trade, Norman Powell just seems to like that matchup too. Um, <laughs> when he's out there against Ross, he really seems to engage chasing him around the screens. And I don't know if that's something from playing against each other in practice back when they were both Raptors or what it is, but Norm really seems to get up for that matchup. So I'd be absolutely willing to give him the first shot at being the guy chasing Ross. And, uh, but I think if, if Ross starts to have a game like he had in the Magic's last game of the season where he's just going off entirely, I would expect you're going to see Nick Nurse put Danny Green or Kawhi Leonard on that on him at that point and just have one of those guys take him out of the game. Definitely. I agree with that. Going all the way back to Augustine, his backcourt partner, Evan Fournier, who Danny Green struggled with a tiny bit earlier on in the, in the year. It wasn't so much in later games, but he did struggle a bit. Lowry Green, Fournier Augustine. What are the big strengths and weaknesses each matchup is presenting to each other? I Fournier is a an unusual player because he has these these scoring outbursts that can convince you that he's this really great offensive threat on the verge of breaking out in the league, and then he has these droughts where he just struggles to really provide anything. He's not the best defensive player which might be being really kind. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he gets so much criticism for his for his contract and things like that. He's just a hard guy to read because you don't know whether it, on any given night Orlando's going to be getting 30 efficient points from him or he's going to look like a black hole on offense. And that's kind of a problem with both, both him and Ross on their wings is they both can do that. And so... I tend to favor Danny Green in that matchup because the Raptors know what they're going to get from Danny Green on any given night. He's not going to have the same outbursts as Fournier. But if if you told me going into the series that the Raptors are going to get 15 efficient points 
from Danny Green every night. That's that sounds reasonable to me. So I I I'd lean towards Green because we know what we're gonna get from him. But in terms of those matchups, I actually think you're gonna see the Raptors probably try to cross match a little bit there. I I really wouldn't be surprised to see the Raptors put Lowry on Fournier and uh, try to lure them into trying to post Lowry up with Fournier a lot and then have Green be the guy chasing Augustine around in the pick and roll because his size might be able to mitigate a little bit of what you were talking about earlier with uh, Gasol sitting back in the paint. Um, you could you could crowd Augustine from behind, you mean? Like when he tries to, yeah. to put Green in jail? Yeah. So... I wouldn't be surprised to see the Raptors cross match there, but I'm I'm comfortable with those matchups either way because I think the Raptors have an experience advantage in the backcourt that's going to come through in this series. And one thing there that I want to bring up is uh, when I was looking at the four games between the two teams, um, the Raptors lost both games against Orlando where I where they only had one of Lowry and Van Vliet, and they won both games where both of those guys played. And I think that's probably significant because uh, you have to score with Orlando. They're going to put up numbers most nights. And the Raptors' offense needs that guy at the helm that Lowry's been for the last six years and that Van Vliet's been this season. And uh, I think... That's the big challenge for Orlando in this series is they have to find a way to contain those two guys. And I don't know how Orlando does it because I don't see either Augustine or Fournier as the type of defender who's really going to lock up Lowry or Van Vliet. Especially if they're played in tandem. That's for any team. When they when Van Vliet and Lowry play together, that's usually it's kind of like a murder's row. They can really they can really dominate other teams with how, I guess, cerebral they are on offense. Some of their movements are so intelligent. And the plays they make, so many underrated little things they do. Moving to a guy who's almost nothing oh, he does is uh, underrated. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just want to say this just, I, I just glanced over at Twitter, and it was just announced that OG Ananobi just went, underwent an emergency appendectomy because he was diagnosed with acute appendicitis. Wow. All right. So, I guess he'll probably need a couple weeks. So it looks like we're not going to have OG for the first round. Wow, there you go. That's that's something. Wow. So Norman Powell. (laughs) I hope he's okay. Yeah, that's... But, I mean, that's going to be the first round he's done for, at least, I would assume. Yeah, my brother had appendicitis. He was out for, like... Now, he's not an NBA player, but uh, he was out for, like, a week and a half, at least. And uh, the effects were longer than that. Wow, that's that's very sad for OG. That's no fun at all. That that really has... I mean, there's going to be some... Just processing this as, as we're talking, there's going to be some impact on the Raptors' rotation because as much as they've got a great first eight or nine guys, if they need to bring in some more minutes off the wing, then you're looking at uh, Jody Meeks or Malcolm uh, Miller or... I, like, I don't, let's every, do that. Who do you like better of Jody Meeks or Malcolm Miller for the Magic series? I think I like Meeks a little bit better. Um, he's He's been a good veteran for the Raptors when he's got minutes this year. He 
He can hit some threes. He can give you a little bit of burst scoring. He's not the best player, but he seems to kind of know what he is at this point in his career. And I think I trust the veteran a little bit more than the younger guy in that situation. Yeah, that makes sense. The I guess Malcolm Miller, the only thing going for him is he's not as good a shooter. He's not as good an off-ball cutter, but he's bigger and might even have a little bit of that edge on defense. But yeah. that's that's the only thing going Malcolm Miller's way. I guess, you, yeah, that does. Go ahead. Do you think there's any way we see Jeremy Lin getting minutes that matter in the playoffs? <sighs> like, I ho- like, if he plays awesome, then sure. Like that would, I'm sure there's a version of Jeremy Lin that can take six to eight minutes, maybe. But the Raptors have Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, and Danny Green to eat up all the minutes of the one and the two. Doesn't really leave any room for Jeremy Lin, especially since Jeremy Lin's ceiling isn't that of Van Vliet, Lowry, or Green. So while I like Jeremy Lin a lot, I think that he puts a lot of pressure on defenders when he's constantly attacking, like the good version of his game. He has one of the hot spots league-wide just at the right elbow. He shoots like 60% from there when he snakes a pick and roll, does a little in-and-out dribble, gets to his spot. There are little parts of his game that are obviously good, but overall he just cannot bring to the floor what one of the aforementioned players can. So I I don't see a version of Jeremy Lin playing you know, 10-15 minutes for the Raptors this playoff run, not even against the Magic, honestly. I, I don't see it for Jeremy. That that sucks. I had high hopes when they signed him, but I I agree with everything you said. Yeah, he's, well, he's by all, I haven't heard anything bad about Jeremy Lin in my life. I mean, he came into the league in this crazy insanity media storm and then took everything in stride, had the mellow drama, the Kobe drama, all that kind of stuff. And he just, he always played and he just always did his thing. And he, he was good for a long stretch. And yeah, he just doesn't provide that much value to the Raptors at the current position he's in, which, you know, that's just life sometimes, I suppose. Yeah. I, I hope if they do need him to play some minutes, he can play within his game. Cause I feel like sometimes when he's been out there, especially recently, he wants so badly to prove that he can make an impact that he's doing a little bit too much to try to do that. And that gets him into trouble. Yeah. That's like the age old problem for like a low usage bench player who most of your life, you played a high usage role, but now you're being asked to excel in a low usage role. And for how many players play like OG Ananobi where they eat a low usage role and become net rating kings and things like that. There's a bunch of players who their whole life, they were the star of the team in high school. They were star team in college. They were star of the G League squad. They were star of everywhere. And now you're saying, like, shoot the ball if you're open or pass it. A lot of guys struggle with that, and especially with Jeremy Lin. He unlocked his whole NBA career by um, using a massive usage rate in New York, running the death out of the pick and roll with Tyson Chandler and getting to the rim and making shots and throwing lobs and cute little like pocket passes. But now you're saying, listen, Jeremy, we want you to space the floor out, hit some above the break threes, move the ball on offense, push in transition when you can. And that probably feels limiting. And if he's not hitting his threes like he hasn't been, then I'm sure he feels like, what am I doing here? Like, how am I attributing anything? 
And then, obviously, if he gets a possession, he wants to go on the pick and roll. He wants to make it work. But he hasn't been able to do that. I, and I don't really completely understand why, when he was out there early in his time with Toronto with Marc Gasol, that never really unlocked his game. Because, I, you know, what you just said about the pick and roll being how he opened up his game, that's where Marc Gasol lives, too. So I, that should have worked. There was a lot of sense to putting those two together. And it just never played out that way for some reason that I don't completely understand. It's maybe it's just a, a funk at the wrong time. You know, sometimes life is just unlucky and that might be the case for Jeremy Lin. I was asked on the mailbag if I thought he would be re-signing and I didn't think it would happen. Maybe it does, but yeah, I, I think that his chapter in Toronto is an underwhelming one, but at least Stephen LeBron they got to hang out and do their thing. You know, it's it's good for the culture. Yeah. So, I he still seems he still seems to be a good guy on the bench, and he's got enough of a veteran presence that maybe he's bringing something valuable in the locker room, anyways. And he seems like the type of guy who would still embrace that role. So, that's the positive of the signing. And uh, yeah, I don't think we'll see much of him in the playoffs. Yeah, he's he's mindful and conscientious and intelligent and a good guy. So never bad to have him instead of Markeith Morris on the squad or something like that. Um, last thing we should talk about, I guess, we haven't touched on Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is, you know, as of right now, I guess you would say probably a top seven NBA player. The playoffs provide him a chance to jump into like the top four, top three, if he plays as well as we've seen in the past. He's obviously the big ticket guy for the Raptors. What does he do in this series? Like, how is he going to bend the magic to his will? Well, I think, first of all, he's going to be... The, the player he's been for short stretches defensively this season, and the, when he's gotten all the attention defensively, like, the overtime period against the Warriors, where he just locked up Durant as the Raptors took over that game. Um, and those moments that he's had defensively this season, I think we're going to see a lot more of that guy in the playoffs. Uh, I think he's going to just take those matchups in stride and sometimes just take a guy out of the game defensively, because we know he can do that. Offensively, he coasts sometimes during the regular season. He just kind of seems like it's too easy for him, and he lets other guys get into their game. And I don't think we're going to see as much of that. I think we're going to see when he can get an advantage, he's going to go to it over and over again. And I think he's been a little reluctant to do that during the season. I think he's been kind of feeling out his own game and what he can do and trying to find all of the places he can get advantages and all of the places where he can or can't still do the things he did before the injury. And I think instead of that feeling out process, we're just going to get him saying, you can't stop me here. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, something that LeBron James has been famous for like the past five years is in the playoffs, he goes to the basket way more often and he doesn't settle for as many jumpers. That's something Kawhi Leonard as well. A lot of times you could see he probably would be able to turn the corner, drop his shoulder and go to the rim. But instead, he picks his shoulder up and he just, he takes that little 15-footer. He really likes, he drives to his right, pulls up going to his right, and he takes that. 
Whereas sometimes you see when the game is on the line, he'll just, the head will go down, he'll bump a guy, and he'll just finish with his right hand. It'll become really easy for him if he's willing to expend the energy. I think that play is there for him a lot more often than we've seen him take it, like you alluded to. He's capable of a lot more, especially in the effort-based type of plays. Yeah, and it's not like he hasn't been great this season. It's just that it's there's been times when it, the game has felt and looked so easy for him that he just doesn't seem to feel like it's necessary to completely exert himself. In Game 82 against Minnesota, I saw three or four plays where he got around his defender, got into the lane with space to take a shot, and then he just kind of passed out and said, and, and, you know, let somebody else do it. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to do that in the playoffs. I think in the playoffs, if he has a game where he can get 40, 50, and he can just keep going to that well, he's going to do it. And I know Kawhi hasn't really put up big scoring numbers in his career. But if the Raptors need him to, I absolutely think you're going to see that from him. And I think, you know, with Lowry and Van Vliet and Gasol around him, like we've said, those guys are going to keep getting him the ball in those spots if they're there. Yeah. And it's it's quite a contrast, honestly, to go from DeMar DeRozan, who is kind of the king of him and Lowry both are like effort in the regular season was one of the biggest reasons why the Raptors were so relevant before the playoffs started. And that effort is all, often matched in the postseason is why a lot of DeRozan's inherent, I guess, advantages were taken away because DeRozan's ability to run 26 pick and rolls in the regular season every game meant that he was going to meet you know opponents that weren't willing to match that intensity and physicality he was going to go to the rim all the time whereas this year Kawhi Leonard was like I'm waiting for the playoffs the playoffs are where I perform best and the regular season doesn't mandate all of my effort and so in the playoffs hopefully we see a version of Kawhi Leonard that tries as hard as DeMar DeRozan did in the regular season except in the playoffs and like Kawhi Leonard has in the past. I mean, it was like, I think his numbers from 2017 off the top of my head are 28 points, five assists, eight rebounds, 53% from the field, 45% from downtown, 93% from like the free throw line. That's absurd. Like that's incredible efficiency. And if we have anything close to that player, I think that the Bucks start looking like maybe they could lose instead of the Raptors looking like the Bucks, you know? Yeah, I, I kind of touched on this in my preview piece yesterday. One big difference between this Raptors team and past Raptors teams is in the playoffs, scouting gets amplified, and teams really get to hone in on, on their opponent's weaknesses. Because in the regular season, you know, you're playing teams on the third game in four nights, and your players sometimes have had one practice in the last week and you haven't really had time to prepare for each individual opponent. So you're not breaking down the entire team. You're hitting like three or four points in prep for, for that game. And you're focusing on those three or four things. And that means a lot of times a flawed team can get away with some flaws. And that's what we saw with the Raptors in the, in the past is they had these flawed teams that could still create enough advantages to beat teams when the scouting wasn't complete. But then they got to the playoffs and teams got more opportunities to scout them. And you kind of got this thing where you could say, okay, well, the Raptors have a couple of defenders who can be attacked, who you have to try to hide. And they have a couple of guys who you don't have to guard 
off ball because they aren't that great shooters. And those things got really amplified. And we saw that in the Cleveland series last year. This is an entirely different Raptors team because like you have to guard everybody off ball. You have to pay attention to every defender. And so the, the benefit to an opponent of having that extra scouting isn't nearly as big. And on the other hand, because the Raptors have so many ways to attack an opponent, because they have so many defenders to throw at an opponent, the benefit of the extra scouting for them can be a lot bigger. Because you can put Siakam on five different positions defensively. You can put Leonard on four or five different positions. And you can offer a lot more different looks. And I think that's one place where this Raptors team is very different than those past years. Wonderfully put. I think that's a good place to end it. Now we need a prediction from you, and I'll give one myself. What is the final, what is the end game of this series? I think this series is going to be a sweep. Um, wow! Bold. I like it. Yeah, I just think the Raptors are too good, and I think this is a team with something to prove in the playoffs. You know, Kawhi's out to prove that he's still the same guy he was before the injury. Marc Gasol and Kyle Lowry are guys who have had phenomenal careers but never really had those big playoff moments. I think this is a veteran team that's going to come out engaged and trying to send a message. And I think they know how much how important rest between series is going to be for them. So I think you're going to see the, the Raptors just come out looking to dominate Orlando. Great. I'm excited to see that. That'll, that'll be out tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm going with a five-game series. I think it'll be a gentleman's sweep. That's my prediction. Not as bold as you. I hope that your prediction comes true. That would be schadenfreude. That would be like the best thing to see ever. Anthony, tell the people about yourself, where they can find you if they want more. I'm Like I said, I'm on Raptors Republic. I'm on Twitter at Anthony SM Doyle. I'm doing the quick reaction for game one tomorrow night on Raptors Republic. And I've got a couple of featured pieces coming out this week as well. And yeah, I'll be on Twitter during the games. I'm always tweeting a lot, so... Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you to everyone for listening. Have a great day. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.